Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, and with me tonight in the studio is Zachariah King. And we are going to ask each other 250 individual questions about the Bible and spiritual matters, and we're going to go over some quick answers. So these are these are questions that I just looked up as far as popular questions. Do you know where some of these came from, Zach? They came from the most popular Google searches in 2022 concerning spiritual matters. Really? So that's where a hundred of these questions came from. Mm. There, are, the, the, the people should uh, relax. You know, we only um, we're limited to two minutes or or so per question. Yeah, so we're not going to go deep. It's only five hundred minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just going to ask each other questions that we got off of here. We might do this a few times. Yeah, yeah. So we can get through some information and just have subject matter that is already decided upon decided upon and easy so zach you said you would start out with the first question well, yeah, tell I, me what number so i can cross it off so i don't well, ask it's, you it's gonna be number one man okay I mean, go uh, for it so the uh, you kind of got some sections laid out here i like the section on the bible yeah um i think it's something that you and i can easily talk about and maybe you know be helpful to some people okay so i mean it's interesting to me mm-hmm. that the question of what is the Bible. Okay, so or is, is that what you're asking yeah, me? That's what I'm asking you. Okay, what so is g- the Bible. Give us the soundbite, Patrick. What is the Bible? Give it yeah. us. Oh, oh, so you you can go back and edit yeah, we can later? take a clip and oh, put it oh, somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, play along. Uh, oh, okay. <clears throat> so, Patrick. Yes. What is the Bible, Zach? That's a great question. The Bible is a book, and the Bible is actually made up of sixty-six books. And these 66 books have been written by, it is commonly believed to be over 40 authors over thousands of years. Uh, These people lived in different countries and different times. They spoke different languages. But all of these books have been compiled and we can, without going over the process, understand there are lots of books that were rejected as we are not putting these into the Bible. There are other books that obviously made it, these 66 that make up uh, the Bible that you and I would use. Uh, the, the Bible is broken down into two basic sections. You have the Old Testament. The Old Testament is made up of what we would typically call the law and the prophets. Okay, those are the two major um you know, sections. And then the New Testament, uh, that starts with the story of Jesus, which is told uh, in four different, um, from four different points of view. We typically call those the Gospels. And that's the life of Jesus. And then after his death, burial, and resurrection, you have the book of Acts, which is the fifth book in the New Testament. And that talks about uh, the first century church. Uh, the first generation, if you will, and all the new churches that started as Christianity spread. And then from there, the rest of the New Testament is made up of letters uh, written to these new churches, talking about the problems they're having, the good things they're doing, they need to keep doing. The Old Testament goes over the history of a group of people we call the Jews. And that starts with Abraham and his descendants. And it goes through 
really starting just a little before that you have the creation of the world Mm -hmm. Uh, you have uh, the story of the jewish people from abraham through moses from uh, moses and joshua going into the promised land and and claiming the land god promised them Uh, then they go to a system of kings and you go through the story of david and solomon Uh, Then you have prophets. God sent special people to deliver a message to his people, the Jews, throughout throughout thousands of years uh, of the Old Testament. And that's essentially what the Bible is. So the last thing I'll say to try to keep it short is that we believe that the Bible is not a book about God. Uh, We believe it is a book written by God. And that's a very important distinction. We believe that God got in the book exactly what he wanted to get in the book. And he, because he's God, he was obviously able to do that. So that's uh, kind of the way that God communicates through uh, people today or the most popular way, which is if you want to understand God and his will for your life, uh, read the book. Uh, There are instructions in there. So that's my answer. What is the Bible? Jump in if you, yeah, well, follow it's, it's up a, or comments. Give deal, it isn't it? Yeah. It's amazing to me that with that many authors over that length of time, mm-hmm. you still have one comprehensive story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is so unique, um, particularly in, in book writing. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it, it gives you the indication that the, the real true author uh, is a little bit outside of our normal dimensions of reality. Okay, Zach, uh, what is the difference between descriptive and prescriptive passages in the Bible? Ooh, I was I was hoping you'd ask me that one. <laughs> <clears throat> I actually like this one. I, I think this is very, very, very important. Because one of the things you'll hear a, lot, uh, hear a lot of people say is, like, well, it's biblical. And often what people mean when they say, well, such and such a thing is biblical, what they mean is that, it happened in the Bible or there's a story about it mm-hmm. and you can, you can see it, you can read it. Uh, but I think very clearly there are things in the Bible that simply describe what happened. Think of something like uh, Jonah is a fun one that's, that everybody kind of knows about it, Particularly if Jonah wrote the book, it would be kind of awkward to, um, or David and Bathsheba, the same idea. Mm-hmm. It would be sort of awkward to write a book that's the most popular book in history that millions of people, billions of people all throughout history could read the worst things you've ever done. Oh, yeah. And that's what's happened with a lot of the best and favorite characters in the Bible is we read about their low points. When I... When I teach David and Bathsheba, when mm-hmm. I teach David uh, in the Psalms, mm-hmm. I, I often ask that question to people. You, David's like, how could he possibly do that? And I go, well, what if I wrote down in a book the worst thing that you've ever done? Yeah. And it was read by more people than any other words in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, what would you think about that? It doesn't mean that you ought to go exactly the opposite direction of what God calls you to do. It doesn't mean that anytime you see a beautiful woman, you should um, kill her husband yeah, and take ra- her for your yeah, wife, <laughs> yeah, rape her, impregnate her, kill her husband and take her to be your wife. Uh-huh. 
those are descriptive. You think you think rape's an accurate word in there? Well, I mean, when I read uh, that, she, when I read the story, I don't read her screaming no. Well, sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, David yeah. was wildly inappropriate. Absolutely. Okay, and it's he was in a position of power. Yes. So if we want to call it, you know, um, sexual pre- misconduct and. You know, be a pretty good looking guy. All I'm saying is there are plenty of stories of rape in the Bible. And and, and this one doesn't doesn't really, you know, scream that to me. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Because I hate tell her to come up here. Yeah. 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 Um, But at at any rate, the to say, well, it's biblical. Yeah. Clearly. Clearly, Yeah. That is not prescribing a way for you to live your life. Some of it is just historical. We're telling a story. There is something to learn from the story. Absolutely. But the point is when God told Noah, Hey, go and build a boat. Zach and Patrick are not supposed to read that story and think, where do we need to put our boat? Yeah. Like it says build a boat. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess it's going to be 107 degrees. There's not a drop Mm -hmm. of water anywhere in this place. But like, well, it says build a boat. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of things that are descriptive, meaning that they are just telling us what happened. Yeah. Prescriptive things, though, are telling us what we ought to do. Yes. So this morning when I was preaching about um, baptism, went over the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. Classic. It's like one of the number one things. Jesus stands there and says it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, mm-hmm. make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I've commanded you. I'll be with you until the end of the age. That is prescriptive. Very clearly. Like, here's something for you to do. Yeah. One, two, and three. Do these things. Right. And, you know, you could, if you wanted to, like, get a little bit deeper, you could call, and let's just go over David and Bathsheba again to make this as awkward as possible. We <laughs> could call that event prescriptive in that you are learning what you should not be doing sure sure because the bible goes over in the old testament several stories some are wonderful some are tragic and horrible obviously david and bathsheba was a tragic and horrible story but we find in the new testament an explanation of all the things in the old testament in that they are to be an example for us And not always a good example, sometimes a very bad example, as in, don't do these things. Absolutely. So with a little bit of discernment, hopefully we can figure out which is which. Yeah, where to go with each one of those. Okay, good answer. Yeah, we're we're already behind. All right, excellent. We're we're on it now. Um, There's a couple of these that I really want, I think are kind of in your wheelhouse. Give them to me. Um. What are the most common objections people raise against the validity of the Bible? How should Christians respond? So that's number 16. So my answer to that is going to be people, first of all, you have to understand that when people object to the Bible, they're doing so for a different reason than the objections that they are bringing up. And the Bible explains this in the New Testament. It's in one of the letters that Peter wrote. The idea is that people are committing willing ignorance. They don't want to know about God, that he was a creator, that he has authority to uh, command 
uh, us to do things and not do things, that he is directly in charge of our eternal destiny, that he set up the parameters for our life and for our afterlife. People don't like the idea that there is someone that gets to tell them what to do. And therefore, they try to poke holes in the Bible in order to bring themselves comfort while they are living a life of rebellion against God and sin. So a lot of the objections will come down to starting with the creation. Uh, People love picking apart uh, the creation, the idea that God supernaturally uh, created the universe, which is something I like talking about a lot, um, which we obviously don't have time for here. Uh, People will pick apart the historical um, validity of the Bible to give you an idea, uh, the capital city of the Assyrian nation, Nineveh, uh, was talked about at great length in the Bible, both in the book of Jonah and I believe in the book of Nahum. And when the Babylonians came and destroyed the capital city of Nineveh, it remained unknown for almost 2,000 years. And people used to point at those scriptures and laugh at the Bible and say, how is it that the Assyrian Empire, who ruled the world, how is it that their capital city that was talked about as so big and so powerful and so magnificent in the Bible so many times, it has never been found? How is it that that's just absurd? The Bible goes against archaeology and we can write it off as nonsensical. Um, It was found, and uh, it was one of the greatest archaeological discoveries in the last century, and it is in the British Museum of Natural History. Uh, We found the very first library in Nineveh. We found 30,000 cuneiform tablets describing the history and the laws of the land. Uh, it describes in detail all the different kings that the Bible brings up of the Assyrian Empire <laughs> really? and what they did. It's yeah. so unbelievable. It just wasn't found while all these people for centuries sure, were making sure. fun of the Bible. But yeah. God brought that to the surface. It was discovered and it was amazing. But you want to know something, Zach? I'm willing to bet that not one scoffer or skeptic changed their mind and became a Christian after seeing that. And I believe personally that in the end times or on the eve of the end times, we are going to discover things like Noah's Ark. Wow. Yeah. That are it's going to be such a profound archaeological discovery, and it will mean nothing. Because yep. people do not reject the Bible based on evidence. Uh, they, they reject the Bible based on consequences for their lifestyle. So I don't know if that... No, that's good. That's I don't know if that helps, helps or um, not. Yeah, because so many times when people take a really, truly honest look at it, mm-hmm. they study through the Bible, and then they end up believing mm-hmm. because the evidence is there. Yeah, and there are plenty of people that have taken a serious look. Uh, there have been several authors, you know, recently. There have been historians. There have been rabbis. I've, I've. It's always an amazing testimony when you read the folks that go about proving the Bible wrong or yeah. disproving the Bible. Yeah. 
and they go and one of my favorite historians and archaeologists went around the world in order to disprove the bible and he came back home and he was he was a professor of history and he came back and he said the bible is true and jesus is the messiah and he actually discovered one place somewhere in i think it was in it was somewhere in the middle east either in israel or in lebanon or you know maybe it was just north um up in uh, where antioch is and he found in, in the bible there is a there is a title used for a Roman person in a governing position that is used in the book of Acts, and it is never found anywhere in oh, history. okay. He found the city where it was used, and it was actually found in records, and it was a position that the local magistrates made for uh, that region. Oh, yeah, and it was just one more of those little things where it's like, this term doesn't exist. Like, this word that we find in the Greek describing a Mm -hmm. Roman office, it doesn't exist. And Rome kept records. We have lots of records from the Roman Empire, and we can't find this thing. Anyway, one guy, while trying to disprove the Bible, stumbled upon it. Found it. And he was, like I said, he was a historian and archaeologist, and he was a world-famous one at the time. His name escapes me. If you want to know about that, just go back and listen to my uh, message on the book of Jonah. It's, you know, you can find it on here. It's yeah. long, but we yeah. cover we cover that information. You got him in there. Okay. All right. Cool. I got a question for you. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, number 10, why doesn't God interact with us today the way he did over the periods covered in the Bible? Yeah, that's a fun one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when I'm discipling people. One of the most interesting things I think that Jesus ever said, he said that um, he has to go mm-hmm. so that he could send the helper, mm-hmm. right? So that he could send the spirit to us. And it's better for us that he goes. Yeah. I think the the humanity of Jesus as the Christ <clears throat> is extremely important. And I think that that humanity limited his physical, spatial capacity. Mm -hmm. In order to be fully man, he had to be in one place at any one time. Sure. He gave up certain parts of the Godhead and his abilities as God in order to become man and become Jesus. Right. So this idea that by believing God, the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. Um, that is remarkable. Like mm-hmm. if you were going to say, well, what would be the next best thing to having like God show up as a bright light, um, or, or Jesus physically walking around beside you all the time? What would be the next best thing? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Maybe yeah, God living inside maybe you Maybe God forever. living inside of you always. <laughs> right? Sure. And so some of it's like, you know, we would love... We, we we just we still trust our eyes mm-hmm. more than we trust our our spirit. Mm-hmm. We just do, and so well, if Jesus was sitting here with us and he's like Zach, you know, I don't think like David didn't rape her. Yeah, it's, less, you know, it's all a mess. It's a wreck. <laughs> but and then they're like, oh, that would be so easy. Sure, 
But if he was here with me all of the time, mm-hmm. he couldn't be with you all the time. Yeah. He couldn't be with your kids all the time. Yep. He couldn't be with my kids all the time. But with the spirit, he can. Yeah. And so there is an adjustment that's made. But Jesus says it's better for us this way. Mm-hmm. What's difficult for us is that we aren't as good at hearing that. Yeah. <clears throat> at, at interacting with him the way that he has set things up now. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are, there is at least one, I guess, posts, what well, two, um, posts, resurrection, um, visitations of Jesus personally to people. Mm-hmm. You got Paul at his conversion, and John to receive the vision of of Revelation. Um, but I mean, those are all, those are pretty special events. So I think probably the biggest thing here would just be to say that they have told us that the system that we work in now with God living inside of us, mm-hmm. the same spirit that was in Jesus, the same spirit that raised him from the dead, it says, is living inside of us. Mm-hmm. That is a privilege. Like That's the best way that we have to do it. We don't have to travel to some temple and then yeah. sit and wait and have a priest go do the... All of that's gone. Mm-hmm. He's writing here all the time. And maybe if we were just more attuned to him, maybe if we realized it better or, or, or could hear him more clearly, we wouldn't quite think the same way about that question. That was kind of the way I was thinking of my answer to that question. When I read through the Bible and I read through the book of Exodus, which me and the kids are doing right now in our morning studies, we look at Moses and the Jews talk to Moses and the the nation of Israel complained to him and and Moses goes to God. And the way it reads is Moses looks up to heaven and he's like, God, what do we do with this? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, I got it. And he goes back to to the nation of Israel and he explains it to them. And that was kind of the way that I was taking that question is why does it seem that God interacted differently? And if I had to sum up a very brief answer, I would say, I don't think we can throw the blame on God. I think we are not walking in the spirit. And because of that, we don't hear God clearly. Personally, I believe God is trying to speak to us constantly. It's just that we are so busy and we neglect um, things like pray without ceasing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we could be talking to God more often, and in that way we would be hearing from him more often. But instead, we just go about our day and we're like, yeah, I got it. I'll check in with you tomorrow morning when I pray for a minute and a half before <laughs> yeah. I start my yeah, day. Yeah, like- right. You know, so that's what I think is going on is that we are not spending time with him with God all the time. And therefore we don't recognize when God uh, speaks to us. I think he is doing a lot more communicating than we give him credit for. Uh, We're we're just the ones that aren't hearing it. Yeah, I agree. And I think Moses is even the one that said, wasn't uh, one of his father-in-law that shows up and they don't have, uh, he he just couldn't handle the workload. Yeah. He needed more people he, to help. He needed more people to help. Nation. And so they assigned some more people to help. And some of them are like, doesn't this take away some of your like authority or your power? Mm-hmm. Or you're the one that has, you can go talk to God face to face and you can come back. And he goes, I wish everyone had the spirit of God mm-hmm. in them. 
that would be so much better sure than me hiking up this mountain yeah. <laughs> into this cloud disappear who knows what you guys are going to do for 40 days oh, while yeah. i'm up there or for an hour and a half <laughs> for that matter i mean and then come back down and then you guys cannot listen to me instead mm-hmm. of not listening to him and yeah he he got it yeah okay your turn give me one yeah let's see um so number eight mm-hmm. why would god use a chosen people to reveal himself okay that's a that's a great question so god used a chosen people for several reasons god likes choosing things god chose abraham to be the patriarch of the special people god chose moses to go and free his people and give them the law god chose joshua to go into the nation and kick out all the bad guys God chose several judges to do his will. Uh, God chose uh, David when the people demanded a king. He wanted to give them a good one that would uh, follow him. So God uh, picked the nation of Israel and gave uh, the law to them as a special group because he had to have a mechanism by which he could bring forth the messiah so it couldn't have well i guess it could have god could have just shown up one day in the clouds with bright light and just hovered on down to earth and said to everyone that was present okay everyone i'm here and i'm god you just saw what i did now I'm going to show you some other neat things. Okay, let's all go over to this lake, and I walk on the water, and bring me your sick, but a bang, they're healed. Okay, we're going to go through and do these things, and uh, that way everyone agrees that it's me. And then he could have said, and here's this book, and I'm going to give you this special book with all the rules and what I want you to do, and, and, I'm, and I'm going to print it out on silver tablets yeah 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 okay sure (laughs) that are later on gonna ascend into heaven and disappear and you're gonna translate them with these you know with this uh special set of binoculars (laughs) okay and you're gonna have this special book and here you go yeah and then that's it and he's over What God did instead was he decided to include mankind in this story for thousands of years. Yeah. Giving everybody firsthand experience with God. And he's still doing that today. Sure is. And he did it in a manner where there wasn't just this one special weekend where God floated down from heaven and did some miracles and gave us his holy writings and disappeared, you know, that's more like a snake oil salesman that just comes into town and, you know, bedazzles all the people and he's on to the next, he's on to the next town. What God did was his method was to show his authenticity from thousands of years prior to him showing up as messiah yeah and he did it in a way where he used 
the most powerful men in the history of the world to do his will. And he affected their lives in such a way where they acknowledged that he was God. And he did that with the leaders of the world over and over again. And God did it in such a way where anyone that took an honest look at the way God set things up, they would never be able to say, oh, that's just a hoax. That's just one trickster. God did it in a way that is so different from the way every cult was ever formed. Yeah. Because Jesus never had anything. Jesus was born and raised poor. He was never famous. He never had any of the trappings of our sinful lusts. All the things that we would want as a human. Mm-hmm fame and money and power and 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 women and you know shiny things and you know fast cars yeah you know whatever the equivalent to a fast car was back then (laughs) jesus never had any of those things not not one time did he have any of those things and that was always uh an interesting part because if you were going to die for this message don't you think it would have been nice to have some of these earthly trappings and comforts? It's the way everybody else does it. It's the way everyone else does it. Mm-hmm. Jesus did it so differently. God did it so differently throughout all this time. He had to pick a family that the descendants of that family would be Messiah. Uh, so he picked um, or made his chosen people. Yeah. And his chosen people, they came down to one man, one man. And if you want to know why God chose Abraham, read Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. He said, I am picking Abraham because he commands his children and his household after him that they will obey my ways. God saw Abraham and saw that he was a godly man that raised his children right and they were going to follow after him and do God's will. And he said, this is the guy that I'm going to use as the patriarch. And he even had a time when God was like, you know what? We're done with that. We're going to pick a new guy because I'm <laughs> sick of the people that we're dealing with. And, and we don't have yep, to get into the sure story. Did. But <clears throat> God's method was to use a chosen people so that he could bring the whole world and all of Earth's history into uh, the message yeah. and have it and have the whole world be a part of it rather than, you know, like I said, God showing up for a weekend or two, you know, and proving he was God. He, he did it differently than any of us did it or would think about doing it. And he did it in a way that is a lot harder to argue. Or oh, argue yeah. With. Yeah. It's impossible for anybody else to do. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> okay, Zach. What does it mean for the Bible to be inspired versus inerrant? Are there other views? Versus versus others. Mm -hmm. So inspired um, would mean that the writers of the Bible, we mentioned there were somewhere around 40 or so. Around 40, and that number is not nailed down exactly because 
there are some books we don't know who wrote it. Right. We have reasons to guess that it was this person and sure. not that person, but they're just educated guesses based on the evidences we have. Right, right. But As we, opposed to some books where it's like, you clearly. know, yeah, he, the, you know, I wrote this, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's a I letter wrote. from a person who signed it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. And no one disputes it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you have some, um, there, there's some timeline things there too that makes it impossible for certain people to have written certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but, but inspired then would be, um, <clears throat> this, the Holy spirit of God mm-hmm. inspired people to write the words that they wrote. Okay. Um, it is the same way that now this might go into versus other views, maybe a little bit, it's all right. but so one way, like, let's say that you, um, you tell me a story about how you're reading Exodus with your kids mm-hmm. that inspires me. Sure. So then I go back home and I'm reading acts with my kids because that's where we're at. But you know what? We're, let's do this. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it. So I've been inspired. Mm-hmm. And so the inspiration with the inspiration, I come up with my own idea mm-hmm. and then I go and execute it. We've already talked about how you and I agree that I, that the Bible, you know, they are the words that God wanted us to have. Yeah. I think it's also really clear that the, each writer has different styles. Absolutely. They use different language. Mm-hmm. They came from different places. Yeah. Their so background the, shows up. Their background shows up, their education. Mm-hmm. Um, the examples that they use are things that they're familiar with personally. Mm-hmm. And so fighter jets and computers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Nuclear bombs. And yeah. Um, Inerrant. There's a spectrum, I think, of inerrancy. Now, wait, just to just a question on inspired before we move past that word. Okay. So inspired. We are not saying what we are saying, what I believe you're saying, is that although the person was inspired and you can sense a flavor of the individual, God still got in the book what he wanted. Absolutely. It's not as if someone went off on a tangent and got a bunch of junk in there and God's like, I oh, hope boy. no one takes that seriously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to need a rabbi to fix this yeah. later on. No, but I also don't think it's the other way where it's like, um, say, uh, Paul mm-hmm. is getting ready to write Romans. He sits down and he blacks out. Sure. Like, yeah, the whole room is full of smoke. Yeah. And he blacks out and he comes yep. to and he reads it and he's like, oh, man, this is great. Wow, <laughs> this is great stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So there's there's a spectrum there yeah. where God used mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. who had his spirit, mm-hmm. who he inspired to write the things that he wanted written. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so inerrant. Uh, inerrant. I, I think you have a little bit of a spectrum here. Um, inerrant would be... Uh, there are no errors. Mm-hmm. There are no contradictions. There are, there's nothing false at all. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody would basically agree on those. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's when we start talking about, well, what do we actually mean by that? Yeah. When you get further, when you try to define it 
further. Yeah, then people start landing in like slightly camps. Yeah, slightly different camps. Mm -hmm. Now, um, there are people who profess to be Bible believing Christians. No. Who will say things like, we ought to just Clearly, not worry about the Old Testament. This portion. We can just, I mean, I'm not going to like tear it out and burn it in yeah. front of you. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you just to not listen to it sure. or read it or study it or understand anything about it. Yeah. Um, when Paul said this about women. We're clearly talking about a guy that lived 2,000 years ago in a strong patriarchal, you know, society that oppressed women, and we can just ignore all that stuff. Is it it descriptive or prescriptive? Yeah. Right? Some of these things start to weave themselves together a little bit. Um, Some other views that I think are just kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, You ever heard of the, um, was it, is it the Jesus... um, I can't remember what the what the whole name of it was called, but they they have marbles. Mm-hmm. So it was like a group of scholars. They got in a in a group together, three hundred of them or so, mm-hmm. and uh, you had like six different colored marbles. Okay, there was basically like green is yeah, Jesus said this for sure. Okay, and then you work your way down to red, where it's like no, there's absolutely no way that he said it. Hmm. And so you have the all the script, all the gospels, yeah, the, the things that Jesus said, and they would vote. Wow. About what he would say. And I mean, you know, would they take stuff out? Oh, yeah. Like 80 oh, okay. percent of these guys are like not um, not even believing Christians, you know? Yeah. And so they whittled it down to where it's like you, there are eight sentences that he mm-hmm. actually said. Yeah. How do you know that? Sure. What's the um, the so some other views would be things like um, even though the Bible is exactly what God wanted us to have. Mm hmm. It was still um, completely, I think it's obviously has cultural context. Mm -hmm. And there are obviously things that um, the Bible writers were writing about that they they had no concept of what our life is currently like. Sure. That there's no way they could have. Um, but, But you, like, it's only designed for the cultural context. And so none of the none of the things that carry across carry any weight. Sure. So it's not inerrant. You can just you can just throw out things that you want to here and there. And then contradictions. Yeah. There's, if there's a contradiction, you just cut that part out. So so I'm definitely on the side of that spectrum where I believe that the Bible transcends time and culture. Yeah. When God speaks a truth, it's not that the truth is irrelevant in a certain place on earth at a certain time. It's still true. Now, the culture you speak that in might be totally against it. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But that was the case when Paul was walking the earth. They dragged him out of cities and killed him multiple times. (laughs) So, you know, to say that, oh, well, you know, that's cultural and, and, you know, we can forget that. At the same time, you find that Paul said to greet each brother in the church with a holy kiss with a holy kiss you ever seen anyone do that okay i have not now if you go uh to certain places if you go back east in belarus okay sure everyone you know and that's pretty much a, a good portion of europe yeah you get a kiss on each cheek i think in the middle east i think you get three 
You get, okay. Yeah, left, right, left, or right, left, right. I don't, I don't remember what it is. So there are some things that are certainly customary that are a little different, you know, for us. Yeah. Um, and <gasps> someone might want to die on that hill and say, nope, when we get together, you know, we need to be giving each other a kiss on, <laughs> on the cheek. And again, that's the thing. It's like, well, okay, you know, if, if that's what you want to believe, you're welcome to believe that. Um, it's, it is going to be a little awkward if everyone in the culture doesn't believe that. Indeed <laughs> right? it is. But at the same time. Come to our church. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, um, I don't have a problem saying that the teachings of the Bible were, the, the teachings of the Bible do transcend time. If yeah. not, <clears throat> then we're really in trouble because we get back to the same thing we're discussing in America today with laws and the constitution is like, well, if the constitution doesn't transcend time, well then, all right, just throw the whole thing out. And now what? Yeah. Start over. Yeah. We're just, you were going to make up a new one. And that's the idea with the Bible and the, the danger I see when people want to label everything as, uh, you must have the perspective of time. You must have the perspective of culture here. And it's very easy to basically write off anything that you don't want to sure, deal, with, sure. deal with. There's probably one other thing we ought to touch on real quick. And yeah. I know we're going a little bit longer on this one. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but especially the inerrancy question, mm -hmm. um, translating languages sure. is difficult. How do we really know that we have, how do we know that we have what Jesus said? Well, and I think that's actually, that's actually a question on here. Uh, do you want me to answer question number 11? 11. How can we know the Bible is reliable? There you go. And so like, I, I think it was William Tyndale, I mm -hmm. want to say. Um, he was burned at the stake yeah. for trying to translate the Bible into English. Yes. So the people could read it. Yep. And but part of the argument was, it's God's word. Mm -hmm. Like we we know the Latin one doesn't have any mistakes. Okay. I'll, right. I'll, yeah. This is the argument. Don't. Yeah. Pull me into that. But go well, ahead. I, I'm I'm not for burning him at the stake either. Yeah. 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 But the but the argument was we mm -hmm. know that this one's right. Mm -hmm. It. I could I can appreciate someone saying. I don't want to mess with that. Sure. Because we know that this part is right. Yeah. But his argument is, but nobody can read it. Sure. And that, and okay, so the. Yeah. So let me ask you the question. Go ahead. How can we know the Bible is reliable <laughs> historically and theologically? All right. So let me go over the basic idea as quick as I can. And, and this is not going to touch on historical and theological, but I will answer that. Okay, so I'm going to touch on the uh, translation and copying issue. So the history of the Bible is, in a nutshell, God um, gave the message to human beings, as we said, mm -hmm. And he originally gave it to human beings in Hebrew because that's the language that uh, Abraham, through King David, through you know, moving on up through the prophets, that's the language they spoke in the nation of Israel. So it was written down in Hebrew. But because the, we'll call it the 
uh, they had very cheap printers and very cheap ink <laughs> back then. So the stuff was going to wear out and die. So they had uh, these people in a position called a scribe to copy it. And those scribes took their job very seriously, but they literally copied character for character from one page to another by hand by hand it was painstakingly slow and that's why bibles were outrageously expensive um but that's the way that they copied the scriptures then what happened was uh three centuries before christ was here on earth uh there's this fella named uh alexander the great who conquered the world and Alexander the Great, one of the things that he did when he conquered the world was he forced everybody to learn this new language, Greek. So then what you had was because the entire world was speaking Greek, and although the Jews still retained Hebrew mostly for um, religious and ceremonial purposes, everybody spoke Greek in their house, for business, day-to-day day in the streets. So what happened was the rabbis said, well, we are going to translate the Holy Scriptures into the Greek language. And they, like I said, they did this 300 years prior to Christ. And that um, Greek translation was called the Septuagint. And when Christ was here on earth, and when Paul and Peter quote from the Bible in our Bible today that we read, they are yeah. quoting from the Septuagint. Yes. They are not quoting yes. from the Hebrew Scriptures. And it's easy to know this if you know the languages. And it makes sense that they would do that because that's what everybody spoke. Sure. Okay, they're not going to teach and speak in a language that nobody speaks. So it was interesting that God had the Bible follow the world language. Yeah. Right after the whole world speaks Greek, Bada bing, the Bible gets translated into Greek, and now everyone is using this. They did the same thing with copying. Okay, over thousands of years, they had, what, millions of copies? Oh, uh, sure. That just copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. So they have a translation from language to language, and we have copying continuing to go on. Uh, after the time of Christ and the New Testament, which was all written in the Greek language. And if you want to argue that there are small portions of the Old Testament written in other languages, I'm fine. If sure. you want to say that part of Daniel was written in the Chaldean, Chaldean uh, I have no problem you know, sure. entertaining that <clears throat> argument because Nebuchadnezzar wrote one of the chapters. But the point is that we then get to a point in the world where the Bible starts to get translated into other languages. It gets translated into Latin, it gets translated into German, it gets translated into English. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that English is now the worldwide most popular language. They oh, yeah. teach it all over other countries as a language we all need to know for business. So... Again, we're just copying and copying and copying and copying. So what you have to do is you have to start out by saying, answering this question. The God who created the sun, moon, stars, and all the planets, <laughs> yeah. is he capable of telling a guy to write down in a book what he wants them to write in the Hebrew language? Well, obviously, he can do that. I believe so, okay. yes. Can he get a guy to copy it? Exactly. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Can he do that a million times over? Absolutely. Can he then get that book translated into another language knowing that it is impossible to do what we would call, and I hate using this word because I'm going to get people angry with me no matter what word I use. (laughs) It's impossible to get what we would call an exact or perfect translation simply because words mean different things in different languages. So you're going to, even though you can, so I'm going to contradict myself right now, even though you can get a perfect translation from one language to another, you're not going to perfectly translate a pun. Oh, absolutely. You're not going to perfectly translate uh, different literary devices like sarcasm or like a uh, synecdoche or an idiom. Uh, You are not going to be able to um, perfectly translate some of these things because languages are different and they sound different in the same way we find out that when we are translating names we don't translate adam because adam means something the the name jonah has a meaning it means dove well they didn't want to write the book of jonah and every time they came to jonah's name they wrote dove right so they didn't translate that they transliterated that so they gave us uh a um what is it called a uh they gave us a spelling of the name that is phonetic. So it sounds like the way it would be pronounced in this other language. Right. It doesn't carry the meaning. So unless you, when when you're reading about different people, if you look up what their name means, you will get more out of that chapter of the book than if you just read the transliteration of their name, which is the way their name sounds in the other language. So those are some of the kind of clumsy things you have to work through when trying to translate the Bible from Hebrew to Greek. Now, the rabbis still thought it was a good idea because they wanted people to read the scriptures. Absolutely. So they said, okay, we're going to miss some things because... Another thing that people might not understand is that every Hebrew character carries with it a numeric value. And that is used Mm -hmm. throughout the Bible in wild ways that none of us will ever understand unless we are a student of Hebrew that I will never rise to be so i depend on other smart people to write books and explain these things to me absolutely it's another thing that we're going to miss so but it didn't matter the rabbi said everyone in the world speaks greek and we need our people every sabbath day in the in the synagogues to study the torah so guess what we're going to translate it into greek because that's what we all speak Mm -hmm. and in the same way they did the same thing with the english language and although some people got so upset that they burned Tinsdale at the stake yeah, for yeah, doing yeah, it. Yeah, crazy. The idea was they he wasn't trying to do anything more than what the rabbis deemed to be necessary when 
uh, they translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek in the book that we call the Septuagint. So a lot went on through translating and copying. <laughs> yes, it did. Can I still say that I got exactly what I think God wants me to have in English? I say yes. Yeah, yeah. I do, I do not believe the Christian is missing anything of value, anything that's n- maybe value is not the right word, anything that is critical or necessary, necessary. Yeah. by yeah. not knowing Greek and Hebrew. We have all the story. You got it. We have what we need to believe. Yep. We, we can form the, for salvation. the doctrines. Yep. We, none yep. of these things are missing. Can you go deeper? Oh, yeah. You absolutely Always. can. And uh, a, I don't play, s- a play on words. Yes, a play on words. We will never understand that unless we know the original languages because that is very hard to translate. Yes. So with that being said, I don't see a problem. I don't have a problem with uh, copying and translation into from Hebrew to Greek to English. I don't see an issue with that. I don't, what I don't like is when people start going back to different languages in order to correct, to say, nope, the plain teaching of the Bible is not what it actually means. What you actually need to believe is something very different. For me, I take the third grader approach to the Bible, have a third grader read you the scriptures and what they say it means is what it probably means. And you're going to be safe that way a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Okay, they're not, they just tell you what it says. Starting place at least. Yep. And then, you, yeah. like you said, you can dig. <laughs> I, think I've, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but when, we, um, when we'd go to Belarus, mm-hmm. uh, not long after the Soviet Union fell. Yeah. So almost everybody was still speaking Russian. Sure. And we had translators that would travel with us. Oh, and when you would preach. We had we had rules. You had rules. When we were Rule preaching. number one. Like if you if you got thirty minutes worth of time. Yeah. You're gonna speak for ten to fifteen. I, I'm talking for twelve. Yeah. Because they need that eighteen to process yes. what I'm saying. And to translate it accurately. It's so it needs to be accurate, but also deliver it to the yes. people in such a way that they understand it. Yep. Okay. No jokes. Yeah. No sarcasm. No, I mean, no cultural references. No. We weren't supposed to say yada, yada, yada. Sure. Because that means something else. Yeah. In <laughs> so it's like, don't say it. Yep. Um, try to keep everything as um, straightforward as and straightforward clear. Forward and clear yeah. as possible. Right. Uh, then the third one was you could only just say one sentence at a time. Wow. Because if you start giving someone a whole paragraph. Mm hmm. It's too much on the fly. Oh yeah, having never heard it before. Yeah, it's too much to tr- to to interpret. Yeah, and so but yeah, thirty minutes was like twelve and eighteen. Give them a second to think it over. Yeah, and um, and so yeah, that was that was tough. But once you sort of get into the rhythm of that, mm-hmm. you can communicate, you can deliver a yeah. message. Yeah. Absolutely. So with with number eleven. Um, that was the reliability through translating and copying, which I don't know if that was technically the question. Yeah, but we H- got to it anyway. Historically, it's it's very easy 
you have to become a student of the Bible and you have to become a student of history. Sure. And if you become a student of those two things, you will see that the Bible is amazing. It The Bible has told us historically accurate statements about people and times and events that history only caught up on in the last hundred years. And it's amazing every time I read something where it's like, oh, look at that. The Bible was true this whole time and people just figured it out. It's always funny to me. So I stopped guessing, checking, correcting, you know, the Bible. I just, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. fine. Even if I don't understand it, even if it looks like it might be wrong, you know, give it time. I guarantee we're going to find out it's correct. Yeah. Theologically, there's no such thing as knowing the Bible is theologically correct. The Bible sets theology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's where we get theology. So the Bible has a theological stance. It's not that the Bible is theologically correct. You might need to find out if your life exactly. is theologically correct. That's, that's and, what I was just thinking. Yeah, and you can compare your life to the Bible or your church to the Bible or your family to the Bible, but the, you can't, there's no such thing as figuring out if the Bible is theologically correct. God's the one that determines theology. Yes, yes, Okay. absolutely. Okay, Zach. How does the Bible differ from other holy books? Ooh, and you can pass good. if you. <clears throat> uh, I don't know a ton about this one, sure. just because I it's haven't right. studied a lot of other religions. But yeah. I do have some thoughts here anyway. Um, I, I think the the primary way that that we've uh, we've sort of danced around, um, we've said it just not quite in these words, the supernatural component of the Bible itself. Mm-hmm. That many authors over that amount of time, mm-hmm. but still with the beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. Clearly having writers who 600 years before things happened were given information that came true long after they were dead. Mm-hmm. And then having writers look back and saying, oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. And let me explain to you more about how that happened. The supernatural capacity, the way that it's written the prophecies that are there that then come true. Um, I, I think that sets the book itself apart from a bunch of others. Um, secondly, I would say that Jesus himself, uh, the the death and resurrection, I, there's just, you could say that the that Jesus follows, like he, he's a myth that follows other mythological, mm-hmm. you know, storylines. But the, the fact that he rose from the dead, I don't know of any other, I mean, no, no, I know there are other stories sure. that, that, write, that, that are read that way, mm-hmm. but no one is claiming that it was true. There was uh, a real person who... Yeah. Do you know that the prophet Muhammad was prophesied to come back from the dead? Really? And they buried him in a shallow grave just in case to make it easier for him to come back from the dead do you know where he is and still underground in a shallow grave in medina yep so others have made claims but yeah. no and i always ask people i'm like hey uh by the way what what year is it <laughs> oh it's 2023 2023 years from what oh yeah 
Oh, yeah, sure. That's the mark that Jesus had on earth and its history. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, as far as other books go, I mean, we, we've talked about a little bit of the snake oil salesman thing, mm-hmm. right? And just the capacity for the book to be, to stand on its own. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I defend it. Yeah. But it doesn't really need my defense. Yep. Does that make sense? And, and it just, uh, it, it continues to move on. I think over and over again, proving itself to be true. Even as we go through history, we've talked about archaeological uh, uh, evidence. There's there's also theological and other types of evidence that you can see throughout the book. It continues to prove itself to be right. And I still think there are things in the future. Yeah, that, that are going to come. That are going to happen and we're going to mm-hmm. go. Wow. Yeah. Sitting right there the whole time. And so I think that's a big deal. Um, trying to think, I mean, Islam is an easy one to sort of come to put it up against. Uh, Mormonism is an easy one to put it up against. I don't know a lot about the Eastern um, mm-hmm. holy writings, but I don't uh, know if they're, I don't know of the name of a single writing in all of Hinduism. Yeah, and yeah. all of Hinduism, I don't know a single one. Surely there's something. There's, you'd think there. But I mean, you, there's a bunch of colorful pictures of, <laughs> you know, elephants with twelve arms. But. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah, I think the supernatural, the the proven supernatural outside of time um, <clears throat> elements to the Bible, I, ju- I just think set it completely apart. Absolutely. Uh, prophecy is an authenticating device. Yeah, yeah. It's a way that God can show this book had a supernatural origin because as you said, hundreds, even sometimes thousands of yeah, years prior yeah. to an event happening, it's described, but it's not described in general terms. Uh, it is described with such specificity that people will claim it must have been written after the event (laughs) happened. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Because it was written out so specifically that everyone's like, yeah, there's no way that could have been written. There's no way that could have been written beforehand. That sets it apart. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's a good one. sets it apart. All right, one more question. we got to wrap it up. Okay, let's see. what I'm going to see if I can really nail you with something here. Yeah, right. You can pick whatever you want. Um, I'll have an answer. I don't say that i'm not gonna say it's right or very good so let's let's do this one because i was hoping we hit this one today number seven Uh why does the old testament god seem so different from the new testament god it's easy you're an idiot (laughs) next question you're not gonna yell out morons (laughs) into the i might i you know the the longer and longer I do this, mm-hmm. not the podcast, but just the, my my walk with Jesus, uh-huh. and, and the more that I, um, you want to yell out morons as well. <sighs> I'm not there yet. You don't want to say it, even though you've had the thought. You're like um, Patrick might be onto something here. <laughs> well, I know they're out there. Sure. <laughs> I, I um I, I think. I think you've got a point. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that the Old Testament God and the New Testament God look to be different is because we pick and choose which parts of the Old Testament God and the New Testament God that we want to study about. Yes. 
both aspects of both of them are in both testaments. Yeah, the what I always ask Christians all the time is I'll I'll ask them, "Are you polytheistic?" You know, and they're like, well, "What do you mean?" I said, "Do you believe in multiple gods?" <laughs> right. Because the way you describe the Old Testament and the New Testament, you describe them as if there are multiple gods and one wrote the old testament and a different one wrote the new testament that's not the case absolutely not there is one god god the father god the son god the holy ghost that's not three different gods that is god that did that so really what what happens is like you said we like to highlight certain things in the old testament the mean yeah yeah. You know, uh, the, the, the tough, the, the standard bearer, um, we don't the, we're Yeah. Killing people. Yeah. Or, we're, we're totally going to skip over every act of mercy that God has in the old Testament. Every single one, every single bit of kindness and mercy and long suffering. Oh man. Yeah. Thousands just, of years. Yeah, skip over all that. <laughs> And then when we come to Jesus, we are literally going to skip over every chapter where he fashioned himself weapons and then uh, took part in property damage and vandalism while screaming at people (laughs) and stealing their money and throwing it out into the street. We're going to totally skip over chapters where jesus just squared off with a group of people in public and called them names and pointed at them and yelled at them over and over and over again until they wanted to kill him yes they were so mad you know we're going to so that's what people do they they focus on certain parts of this one certain parts of that one and they don't look at it as a whole and really what you find is God has several different attributes, much like a TP. They all lean up against each other and support each other. And what people don't understand is that there is literally no such thing as mercy unless there is justice and judgment. Absolutely. There has to be justice and judgment first for mercy and grace to even exist. Romans says, behold, then the kindness and the severity Mm -hmm. of God. Yeah. Kindness towards those who have believed. You got it. And severity towards those who have denied. And, And we've seen that's the way Jesus acted through the entire New Testament is he was amazingly gracious and kind to everyone who came to him and acknowledged that he was lord he was unbelievably uh sharp-tongued and aggressive with all of those filled with pride and arrogancy who were the oppressors of the poor you know who were um the abusers uh of mankind you know uh who were corrupt Mm -hmm. Uh, And we find the same thing with God in the Old Testament. Uh, God, whenever he judges the nation, he would always make sure that there was, for lack of a better term, a back door for those who truly loved him. And he says, you guys come on over here. This is not for you. Okay. Those who love me are going to leave the city. Yeah. And then we're going to rain down fire from heaven. Right. You know, uh, we are only going to rain down fire from heaven on the prophets of Baal. 
Right. Now they are going to get the sharp end of the stick. <laughs> yeah, okay? right, right, right. You know, so that's really what happens when you're talking about um, the difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Um, they're, they just are not different. People are just not. I think what most people are doing is they're not studying their Bible. They're just listening to sound bites from people. Sure. You know, and they've heard a few stories and they they hear the story of Noah and the flood. It's like, man, God killed the whole world. Well, he didn't. Okay. There were eight people that he did not kill. Yeah. And that he loved. And he went through great lengths to protect and bring comfort to. And he did the same thing in Sodom and Gomorrah. He did the same thing. Uh, with the southern kingdom when mm-hmm. they were taken away yep. captive yep. god did the same thing again and again and again he even did the same thing with the northern kingdom where uh, when they turned to idolatry all of the god worshiping obedient jews in the northern kingdom they all went they to the south. south that's it they <clears throat> moved and they said nope we're not we're not putting up with this we obey god and they're doing it down south and that's where we're going so unfortunately again the failure lies with us and that's what always happens imagine that yeah when we misunderstand god when we have a problem with god the failure is ours it's not god's absolutely that's that's what you know we run into even just basic things that we that jesus said Mm -hmm. uh, he gives us more teaching on hell than anyone else yeah in the scriptures yeah and he talks more about hell than he does heaven in the new testament Every almost everything that we know mm-hmm. is from his mouth. Mm-hmm. He's the one that says, "I don't do anything that the Father doesn't tell me to do." Yeah, um, there's no conflict. There's no Jesus conflict. Jesus makes that very clear. We are one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's praying that we would yeah. be one with him. That as got he him is in trouble with the Father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just I, I think probably the best way to think about that one is is what you've said. I, I just I think it's at best a a massive misunderstanding of what the text is teaching yeah all right folks we are at an hour and 10 and we got to be done because i am driving out of town to work up in the mountains for a week so i think we're leaving at like 4 a.m so uh we got to cut this thing yikes i don't want to say short because we've been doing it over an hour what i do want to tell everyone is that you can go on uh, BibleThumperPodcast.com. That's our website. From there, you can contact me at my email address, which is BibleThumperPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Spotify and Google and Apple Podcast and any place that you listen to podcasts, you can find us. And you can link to our Facebook and YouTube channels, and you can watch us live on Sunday nights. Uh, we are on most Sunday nights. We are on... Uh, real close to 7 p.m. whenever we get on here and uh, you can comment and ask questions and be a part of what we do and we love having you on here Uh, so thank you for joining us have a great uh, week and we will see you next sunday when we are going to talk about something